Brandon. And we're a couple of theater nerds who like going to the movies. And like talking about movies. So join us as we review the movies we have just watched. Um, and uh, that we're going to probably disagree on. Sorry, I, I got distracted because we're recording this intro before we actually have watched the movie. <laughs> not before we review, like, we're not going to review it until after we watch it, but... <laughs>
began cohabitating and I started watching wrestling with you uh-huh. and uh, we like I've become a fan of it um, both as a societal uh, commentary but also as a theatrical performance like I think there's a lot of chess that goes on in the wrestling world I yeah. think so um, okay so what you said about the characters in Commander de Arte is something that is noticeable in the wrestling world yeah so things like one thing we've talked about is if you're an older bad guy, you wrestle with your shirt off. <laughs> but if you're an older good guy, you wrestle with your shirt on. <laughs> and I don't know why, but that tends to be the case. Um, and when they switch, oftentimes it will be marked by a removal of the shirt. <laughs> uh, what are some other things that you would Well, say? I mean, that, that is true, but I mean, you look at there are certain archetypes that have been around since I've been watching and have been around even before um, I started watching. You know, the 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 snooty aristocrat, the evil rich guy. Right. Um, there is always the, the the crazy brawler. You know, your your uh, your Mick Foley's and your Brody Lees and your you know. I would put Darby Allen in that camp yeah. now. Um, yeah. There's um, just willing to come do something completely crazy yeah. off the wall, like jump off of a you know cage. You know the one that the one that I, I I don't know why we still go to it. Actually, I do because we've become increasingly xenophobic. But the evil foreigner oh, yeah. has always been a uh, well. For instance, the guy we're gonna go see the Iron Claw and the. The, the patriarch of the, the Von Erichs, Fritz Von Erich. Right. Um, the reason you know they call him Fritz Von Erich in the finishing movie is the Iron Claw is because he was originally portraying a German. Right. Because it was fresh, you know, fresh off World War II, so a lot of German... It was about 20 years after World War II. Yeah, but, but still, still, that, that German... Yeah. You know, and then you get Nikolai Volkov in, in the Iron Sheik. Yeah, I was going to say the in, Iron Sheik. In the yeah. 80s. Then you got Sabu. Sabu. You got Yokozuna. Yeah. Who you know, Japan in the in the 90s, which he was not Japanese. He was Samoan. What's <laughs> interesting to me now is like, okay, so we have made a switch from WWE to AEW. Yeah. Like we are solely AEW. Um, you know, independent circuits, not like t- like TNA. What's the other one called? Um, Ring of Honor. Ring of Honor, Short. which is owned by. By AEW. I'd but still watch, I would still be watching Impact if it was on a channel I got. The political and social damage done, especially by Vince McMahon, but by the WWE in general, mm-hmm. is just not something that we would associate ourselves with. Especially now. This is very topical at this moment. As Vince McMahon has had another sexual assault case brought against Yeah, like him. as we're recording this, it literally happened like the last two days. So, <laughs> we are solely AEW. And yeah. I will say that, like what you're saying about the, the foreigner, as opposed to that, a lot of the bad guys here in AEW tend to be smarmy white guys. Yeah. Like Christian Cage, snooty, snobby, classist, sexist white guys. Yeah. They tried doing it early on with a with a boxer turned wrestler. I think I think Anthony Agogo, I think was his name, who was British. Mm-hmm. And they tried doing it with him and Cody Rhodes, the whole yay America. It's like, but it's hard to whip up any us against <laughs> then Ferber against the Brits. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's yeah. like, really? The Brits? That's who we're going after? Yeah, and we have a lot of, like, AEW does have a lot of Mexican and Japanese wrestlers, but they're never presented solely as no. the heels. There is a heel that is one of the Japanese wrestlers, but because it's more of who he's associated with, the guy who's evil, Howie Mandel, <laughs> rather than... Uh, because he's Japanese. Because he's Japanese. Well, I think that you can trace that back to the fact that a lot of... A lot of these guys, a lot of the guys in AEW who formed it, wrestled in Japan. Right. Or Mexico. Yeah. So, like, that was kind of the track of 
um, development that a lot of these guys went on. You start off in the independence, probably worked in Canada, then went either to Japan or Mexico. Right. Let the Japanese wrestlers beat the shit out of you for a couple of yeah, years. Um, what's his name? Kenny Omega was a big Japanese wrestler. Yeah. And he's one of the founding members, but one of the the foundation members, Chris Jericho, he was Mexican wrestler back in the day. Yeah, he yeah, he worked in Mexico. He worked in Japan as well. Okay. So did the Young Bucks, so mm-hmm. did you know, so did a lot of these guys. They all they all kind of So I think you don't you don't see that xenophobic Ben, you know what's also interesting? I think this is a really important one to mention. Um, speaking of archetypes, is that one that was around for a very long time, and you can see it the in the queer coded, the queer coded bad guy, the yeah. gorgeous George, the gold dust billion Chuck, yeah. uh, Lodi in WCW. Yeah, they, Lenny and Lodi. That was who they were, Lenny and Lodi. So, but in there yeah. are several out members of the LGBT community in AEW. Yeah, uh, Anthony Bowens. Anthony Bowens is an out gay man who is a tag team wrestler. Yeah, um, and I, I think I, I think it says a lot of the development of the business, and also just we can you can kind of rightfully say that we as a society have not evolved as much as we should have. But it's nice to see victories when they exist. And when he, for the first time on TV in front of an audience, said, I'm gay, and the audience cheered him. And chanted. And chanted for him. You know, that was not a, that's not something that would have happened. You know, well, it's not something that would have happened in AE, or in WWE. No, certainly not. I think what AEW has done is fostered a community of acceptance and inclusion mm-hmm. and being um, when you as the head of the company and as the you know founding, founding members of the company when you model that and you say this is what we stand for then you get your followers your your, your yeah. fans to kind of fall into place too and I think that I think that for a sect of people who are wrestling fans who may not have access to a lot of LGBTQ acceptance or inclusion, that's very important. Yeah, and I and it is important. I think you said that, um, but they you also see them enforce it. They don't. Right. It's not a thing. I read a there was an article about a year ago and. Uh, people were criticizing them saying oh they just pull out their lgbtq wrestlers during pride month it's like no no they don't they don't just do that and no, because the acclaimed are one of the yeah. i would say one of the there's one of their top acts yeah um but also i remember stories of uh nyla rose who's a trans woman uh-huh. um several at least twice I, i've heard stories of someone brought like uh transphobic signs or whatever to, to one of the tapings and security confiscated the signs and removed them. Right. So it's not just a thing that they just kind of do to make it, you know, oh, make themselves how woke we are. Yeah, make themselves look good. It's something that they are enforcing. Yeah. So it, I I think it's a it's more of a um like you say it's it's a it's a culture thing. They really endorse that kind of culture. Right. And, you know, and I was thinking, because you, we were talking about the whole concept of the America being the good guy and whatnot, um, they don't really push that uh, as far as, like, I think back to, um, there was a show on a couple of years ago called Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling Glow yeah. on Netflix, and it talked about the Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling from the 80s. Yep. And one of their big things was the Russian, uh, <laughs> the Russian woman fighting against the American woman. And we don't. What was her name? Betsy. I want to say it was like Betsy Stripes or Stars or something like that. Yeah. I don't remember. But um, they don't really push the nationalist point of view for that. No, and like, like I said, I think I, they tried once. I'm not going to, I don't want to come out here and say they've never done it. They they tried once. 
with the, the Brit versus the American thing, and, you know, Cody Rhodes was all, oh, I'm going to be the American dream tonight, you know, and all that, and it, and it, and it didn't fly. Like, nobody bought it. It was a it was a bad match. Nobody cared. And I think they kind of said, okay, we're not going to do that again. Well, and then, you know, you have so many wrestlers are Canadian. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then, uh, then, so, AEW came around to, what, 2018? 2019. So then they like, went, like, right? they weren't, they hit, and they weren't very far into it before. The pandemic hit. The pandemic Yeah. Hit. <laughs> so, um, but I think. Anyways, uh, that's the politics side of it. The theatrical side of it is what we were talking about. So we have, you know, the heels, the the queer coding. Um, what are some other aspects of it that relate to something like Commedia dell'arte or theatrical performance? Well, I say it's the it's a predetermined. It's an athletic competition with a predetermined outcome. Right. Or an, an athletic exhibition. I think it's how legally, how, um, like the paperwork that they fill out when they, when they rent an arena, it's how they have to describe the event, a, uh, an, an athletic exhibition with predetermined outcome, kind of like the Harlem Globetrotters. Oh yeah. You know, so obviously, you know, obviously it's the, the big showmanship, the, the pyro, the music, the costumes, the, you know. What gets me is how how far out they have to really plan something. Um, this past, you know, six months or so, I would say even longer than that, they've been doing this thing to get to a heel turn, which involves the champ and becoming best friends yeah. with somebody. So and, the, the MJF Adam Cole right, uh, friendship. So that was like... That was a long time. Like, yeah, they. Well, in the night, like I was, I was telling you, like back in the early days, like it was a three-year storyline with Adam Page becoming champion. Right. You know, so yeah, a lot. And it, what's interesting, and I don't know the ins and outs of it, obviously, but it, I'm sometimes curious as to how much of it is pre-planned, and how much of it they kind of see see that it's working, and then go, let's. Let's stick with this a while longer. See, and then... that's what's fascinating about it. It's because you have to both have the improvisational yeah. talent as well as the pre-planning. Like, you've got to be able to be good at both. Yeah. Because you also have things like Adam Cole falling off the stage and getting a foot injury. Yeah. And being not able to wrestle for how long, okay? You have, you know, um, and then the guy who was supposed to replace him got a concussion and yeah. they had to move on to somebody else. Like, there were so, there's so many little things like that that they have to account for and be able to turn at a moment's notice yeah. while still maintaining that long-term effect, which I think that's, I think that that is a, a is fascinating, the combination between the long-term storyboarding and planning with the flexibility and improvisation. Mm -hmm. Even in this, in, in, uh, in a ring, like you have your set outcome, you have your choreographed moves, but you don't know that everything's going to turn out exactly the right way. Yeah. You might misstep, there might be sweat and you slipped on the floor, there might be, you know, something threw a wrench in your plans, and you have to change it up yep. on the spot. Well, we watched we watched the one match. Um, it was John Moxley and Penta. Uh, no, it was uh, his brother Phoenix. Phoenix, right, Phoenix. Where right there in the early goings, like Phoenix rammed into him and knocked Moxley silly. Right, and he ended up with a concussion. Yeah, like a fairly bad concussion too, from all accounts. And they, you could tell that they were wobbly and. Um, and everybody was a little off kilter, but they, like I say, they were able to kind of course correct. Right. You know. And, um, <laughs> which was interesting because theoretically that changed the outcome of the, that not only changed the outcome of that match, that changed the outcome of the title. Yeah. From that for a little yeah. while. So. Now, because um, we're on our way to see a, a wrestling movie. Okay. Um. 
and it's kind of interesting to me that as a as theatrical as it is, there aren't a lot of movies. There's not about wrestling. No, like there was Glow that we talked well, about. Well, that was a, that was the TV show, right? Um, I can only think of three prior to this one. Okay. Uh, there was No Holds Barred in the '80s, which was a Hulk Hogan vehicle. Jeez. Very um, WWF at the time backed. <laughs> I mean, uh, you should call anything that's a Hulk Hogan vehicle a Hummer. Yeah, <laughs> it's a Hummer. I like that. Um, but uh, yeah, anybody who hasn't seen that, it is a glorious piece of '80s nonsense. Yeah. It is so. It's. It is. I think I would put it in one of those so bad it's good. <laughs> kind of categories because it is it is atrocious but there is something just hypnotic about it like the way Hulk Hogan walks around in everyday life in spandex uh-huh. and everybody just acts like it's normal yes. <laughs> it's like um, so there was that one then a few years ago there was the Mickey Rourke film The Wrestler, oh, the Wrestler yeah. which was very good right very good um, then um, a couple years ago, we got the... the Party the, with my family. Yeah, the Soraya Page biopic. Right. And now this one. So you don't really... Was there one... I'm trying to remember if it was a boxing or a wrestling movie with... Um, what's her name? What's his name? Uh, the, the, the British guy. very serious. And he was Batman. Christian Bale? Yeah. That was a boxing movie. No, a okay, fighter. never mind. Yeah. <laughs> never mind. But, um, but it's interesting, and I, I... Well, there was that one about the, the guy who was, was Steve Carell. Uh, yeah, but that's, that's more of an amateur yeah. wrestling, uh, and because that, you know, I, I'm going to use a term that they hate, because that's, you know, a real sport, quote-unquote. Um, there was actual drama and everything. The problem with wrestling movies is that up until a few years ago... They were trying to say wrestling was real? Yeah, they were trying to be very protective of the secrets of the kayfabe and trying to... So you can't really tell the drama of of someone's life and also try to make it look like this cartoony world that they live in is real. So if you're not a wrestling fan, kayfabe is like the whole background made up story kind of situation. Yeah, like when two, okay, like a good example, like back in the 90s, they did a storyline in WWF where brothers, real life brothers, Bret Hart and Owen Hart were fighting. Right. And because of that, they didn't travel together, they didn't room together, right. they didn't talk to each other on the road. They had to be very careful when they had like a family function that they, nobody saw both of them there <laughs> because they were upholding the story that they were fighting. that they were mad at each other. And right. that's, you know, so it was this whole thing of, if you've ever seen the, the Christopher Nolan movie, The Prestige, yeah. about stage magicians and the concept of having to live a lie every time you're out in public so that it does so that the show looks real right you know that's that's kayfabe but no that yeah they don't really do that anymore well like a a good example of that is the the fighting with my family which is a good movie you know florence Pugh does a great job you know it's it's a good film but it really is trying to straddle that line between this is her real life and the wrestling is real right you know and it's like but we we see that you know Anyways. I think the other issue is that so much of the narrative of wrestling history is controlled by the WWE. Right. Which, okay, so we watched a documentary about Ric Flair? Uh, I I think you might be talking about the the plane ride from hell. No. No? No, I'm talking about the one that we watched with Ric Flair where they talked about him being part of the Tennessee Children's thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then, like, his life up till now. Yeah. But it was was produced by WWE, so it totally skimmed over any kind of drug use, steroid use. Any 
kind of negative. Right. You know, they don't want anything negative associated with their product, which is, again, it hinders your ability to tell stories and movies about it because a lot of bad shit happened. Now, on the other side of that, there is the Vice show, The Dark Side of the Ring. Yes. And there's a lot of people who are not associated with WWE anymore who take part in that show. Yes. And it's a documentary series. I think it's had four seasons. It's, yeah, and they're getting ready for their fifth. So that is a lot more eye-opening about what actually went, especially like in the 70s, 80s, yeah. 90s, yep. what went on behind the scenes um, with wrestling. Yeah. You know, and the, which, you know, it shouldn't surprise that, you know, the wrestling world is kind of a mixture of the the sports world and the music world. Right. You know, and so if you've ever seen a behind the scenes or behind the music or anything like that, you kind of get the idea of <laughs> where that's going to be coming from. Right. Like there is a lot of drug use. A yeah. lot of sleeping around. Um, strangely enough... The, the one about the Von Erics, like, who we're about to go see the movie about, is not one that has a lot of the drug use. They mention it. Right. Like, they mention that, you know, drug use was, uh, was a part of their lives, but they don't really, they didn't really go into detail as to what. Right. You know, if I, I would probably, I would guess just because of the era, you know, obviously marijuana, cocaine, probably. I would say talked about this in his book that drug use is very very prevalent amongst wrestlers especially of that era because yeah your body hurts right and it starts out with he says a lot of them it starts with you know marijuana you take a few hits and you know it helps you feel a little better your back doesn't hurt as much your knee doesn't hurt but eventually the pain gets so big that you can't that doesn't do it, and you gradually, you know, kind of move on to, to harder and harder stuff until you're kind of lost. Right. So, um, so yeah, as far as, like, documentaries for this, um, we've really, I don't know if enjoyed is the right word for it, but we've really uh, gotten into the Dark Side of the Ring documentaries. Yes. Who runs a amateur wrestling promotion 
a school. With, school. Yeah. And Which consists of him making people roll him joints. <laughs> right. And possibly making like custom fetish movies. Yes. It was, it, um, there's a lot that went on in this. We plus he breeds cats. Yes. Like, but honestly, if you ever just want to watch crazy, that that is like that documentary just every episode there was something in it that was like what you where know did that come from? You know it's bad. You know it's bad when wrestlers who have known a lot of crazy people say this he was one of the craziest people I've ever met. Right. Like that's that's a high bar. You know it's bad when one of the least crazy things that he does is when he starts to juggle a kitten. Yeah. Okay, and you're like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that's the least crazy thing he did. So, yeah, that one, we'll get the name for you for that one, but um, like, if you're into documentaries that just spiral out of control, that would be one. Now, the ultimate wrestling documentary to me, and I don't think we haven't watched this one. I've watched it, but I don't know, we haven't watched it together. Um, uh, wrestling with Shadows. Okay. Which was the documentary crew that followed Bret Hart around during his last couple years with the World Wrestling Federation, and they they happened to be there at the infamous infamous Montreal Screw Job, where Vince McMahon basically screwed Bret out of the championship on his way out of the company. Okay, that was a. And a lot of people have come out against it in the past couple of years, but it was one of the first documentaries that really came out and was like, "This, yes, this, this is all fake, quote unquote, but it's not fake to the people who live it." That's another thing that just like it's it's so it's like saying that theater is fake. Yeah. Okay. There is a definite suspension of disbelief, but the athleticism is not fake. Like, these people work so hard. Yeah, okay, maybe the outcome is planned, but they still have to be able to climb up on top of something and do a double backflip yeah. off of this. And I mean, people who you wouldn't think. I think about Hangman and a page being like a big, bulky guy, and he's doing backflips yep. off of the off of the ring. And you're like, how are you doing that? Oh, yeah. So, but yeah, Dark Side of the Ring is a great, not Dark Side of the Ring, uh, Wrestling with Shadows is a really, it, it, I, I love it, and again, I know it's come under some criticism in the past couple years, but it it was really good, so. Yeah, but if you just want to try a little snippet, I think the episodes on, on Dark Side of the Ring are. On Hulu? On Hulu, I think maybe 30 minutes long. 30 to an hour, I think. Yeah. I think. And so there's several, I would say, um, which ones do you think would be the most interesting? Um, the Von Erich one. Right. Definitely. Uh, I definitely would look at that one. Um, they did a, an outstanding one on the death of Owen Hart. Right. There was, wasn't there one on, um, Elizabeth and... They, they did, yes. They did one on Miss Elizabeth and the Macho Man Randy Savage. Uh-huh. Um, they did a, a two-part one on the deaths of Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit. Right. Which I think is one of the most interesting... I think uh, that's a real, like, takes a real look at the brain damage. Well, and, 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 and the, the... The circumstances that led into everything, not, right. like, the effect... Uh, it's, it's, it's very telling that the documentary is about the both of them. Right. And about how the loss of one really cracked the other. Right. You know... Um, but those, those are really, really powerful episodes. There are other ones that are kind of fun, like the Brawl for All, talking about the boxing matches that they did. You know, So not all of them are tragic and terrible, but, I mean, be prepared if you're going to watch these. These are some... These dark are some, stories. These are dark. They're tragic stories in a lot of cases. The, the Von Erich one that we are about to go see, this is kind of a before and after, because, you know, I've been loving the things on TikTok of... Uh, people going in to see this, oh, we're going to go see a Zac Efron movie, and then showing them at the end just bawling uncontrollably. So, <laughs> so we'll see how we feel directly after this. What about um, the one, the guy who was a 
Oh, uh, Chris Canyon. Chris Canyon. That yes. Not just Chris, not just the closeted gay man, but someone with uh, bipolar disorder, depression. Like it really shows like how you sometimes wonder watching these if we had been more aware of mental health, right? Been more aware of warning signs, and if it wasn't such a macho manly man uh, culture for such a long time, like. How many of these guys might still be alive? Right. You know, if if they had received the help that is very a lot of them are very open about now. Like I, I think of John Moxley, one of the wrestlers for AEW, who he he said, you know, I'm I'm an alcoholic and I need to go to rehab and I need to go get my head straight and you know, I'm suffering from some depression and I gotta go get this fixed. Well, I think, well, Kenny Omega taking care of his Crohn's disease. Yeah. Taking time off for that. And I also think about MJF talking about the struggles he had with ADHD. And anti-Semitism. Uh-huh. You know, right. so, so yeah, these things that you would never have admitted to, even like 10, 15 years ago, you wonder how many of these guys and gals would still be around if there was a healthier culture surrounding them. And I think that's that's really going to be one of the driving forces of this film um, is that how how the, the Von Erichs legacy might be different if you know certain mental uh, and social issues were able were di- to be handled differently. Yeah. Yeah. You know. So. Well. You know, we've talked about this for a long time, and if I let you just keep talking about wrestling, you'll just keep talking about it. I will. That's that, it is one of those things I have a hard time <laughs> shutting up about. You are right. So why don't we go to break, and we'll catch back up with you guys after we watch The Iron Claw. All right. So we'll be right back. Okay. Oh. So we watched the movie. We went to dinner. We watched another movie. <laughs> yeah. Have you finished crying from the Iron Claw yet? Oh, have you? <laughs> I don't know. There is a distinct chance that I might burst into tears again. At oh some point man! Um, it's um, I guess this is the best kind of one word or one sentence review I can give it. Um, so unlike again, unlike a lot of people on social media or TikTok ever. We knew kind of what we were getting into. Right. We'd seen the documentary. Yeah. So we, we knew how this was going to go, you know, but the film does such a wonderful job of painting this really beautiful picture of these brothers and their love for each other and their bond that when the tragedy happens, even though you are aware it's coming it's still it still hits yeah. you know and man this one this this is a oh this, it's a heartbreaker it is and it's it, it is one of those tragic stories for those who don't know all right um the iron claw is the story of the von erics which are a wrestling dynasty from you know, about the 70s through the 80s is when they were kind of at their peak. Uh, made up of, um, in this film, uh, four, but in reality, five brothers. They, they cut one of them from the story because they felt it would be too much tragedy. Um, uh, although there are five brothers in the film. Yeah. There are. Um, but I, I think the dynasty goes back to the 60s is with, when with their dad, Fritz yeah. von Erich. Yeah. Uh, was wrestling. Um, but. So Holt McCallany, whose last name I can never pronounce, uh, from Mindhunter, is actually uh, playing the, the patriarch Fritz von Erich. And Mara, oh gosh, Mara Williams? I think. Uh, is the mom, Doris. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we have Zach Efron. As Kevin von Erich. Who is the, the uh, protagonist of the story. Yes. Really. Um, and then uh, Jeremy Allen White, Harris Matheson, and then uh, the uh, the youngest brother's name I cannot remember who the actor is playing. Yeah. Uh, but we have the four. 
four brothers in the family. And um, let's just say, I think this is one of those things that we should address. Um, so there's going to be some trigger warnings yes. in this review because this, this film and this story deals with depression. It deals with suicide. Um, so those are things that drug use. drug use that you should know going into this review and into this movie. Right. So if, you know, uh, just be aware of that. Um, because yeah, through circumstances and tragedy, all but one of these brothers, uh, pass away. Right. And it is, and again, it is through increasingly tragic circumstances that this right. happens. So, basically the family believes that they've been cursed. There's a curse um, that's keeping them from success, keeping them from happiness, and it's hard not to kind of agree with it <laughs> by the end of the movie, don't you think? Um, it is. It is a little bit. Um, yeah, so, yeah, so, yeah, so Zac Efron plays our our protagonist Kevin Von Erich, who is the only surviving member of the Von Erich family. Right. I think you said that already. Yeah. Okay. So let's just, I mean, let's jump into it. Let's talk story. Um, how do you feel like this was written? Knowing the real story and being a writer yourself, how? I think like... it was, I think it was done incredibly well. Okay. I think, um, it, it, it was, uh, I know a lot of people question the, the the deletion of one of the brothers from the story, but I I do agree that I think it would have would have been just one more punch to the gut, and I know that that must feel terrible for for, for that young fellow. But I mean, well, I I think of it this way: like if I was to write a novel based on, let's say, my grandmother's life and everything that happened to her in her life, mm -hmm. by the end of it, people would be like, okay, like, this is not realistic. This is just too much. Yeah. This is too much stuff. And I think that's kind of what the Von Erichs have to deal with. Yeah. It's like, by the time you get to the end of it, like, it's not, it doesn't, even though that is reality, it feels more like fiction because it's just so much, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but I, but I think it would in that respect. Uh, I think um, I like how, at least as far as I can tell, from my limited capacity as a wrestling fan and historian. <laughs> um, I mean, they follow things pretty closely, right? You know, so obviously there's some um, creative license because there has to be. Right. Um, but I think um, they follow, th they use real names, they use real titles, they don't. They use real matches. Yeah. Yeah, you see footage from, you know, NWA and SummerSlam and all sorts of stuff. So. Right, and like the, the they, a couple of times they have these graphics they put up with matches and places and dates and but, they're but, ones that actually happen. Yeah, which is a good way, I thought, a, a clever way to kind of show the passage of time and right. where we're at in time. Right. Um, yeah. Um, I also think that the film does a really good job of not necessarily villainizing anybody. I, I don't think anyone was made out to be a villain who wasn't really kind of a villain. Yes, but even then... Okay, so let, let's just be honest here. Uh, we're talking about the dad. Right. Who was a hard ass and, you know, drove his kids and stole money from them. Right. Um, and all of that. He controlled his, his son's lives, basically. Yeah. Um, but they, they also, in other sports movies, they would go out of their way to show that this guy is the worst human being that ever walked. Right, Where, and they don't really do that here. Yeah, you see that he did the wrong things, but he loved his sons. He he wasn't trying to hurt them. No. You know. I do think there was some narcissism there. Oh, there's definitely some narcissism. But uh, yeah, I don't. I don't think he thought he was hurting them. Yeah, and I think that's important to show. We we talked about it in one of our other reviews um, about uh, in the Hunger Games about 
you know, nobody is completely evil. Right. And I think a, a lesser film would have taken the easy way out and just made Fritz the the out out villain. Which, right. and again, he's not innocent. Right. You know, we're not saying, I'm not saying that he, you know, oh, he not did like nothing he wrong. Was, it's not like he was an alcoholic who beat his wife. Yeah. You know, they didn't take it too far. They took, it was a very realistic portrayal of a parent who basically drives their children to these, to these depths. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so that, so then we also have, um. The fact that there's so many tragedies that happen one after another, and the way that they're presented, I think you talked about this. You're not a gore guy. No. We talked about this before. No, I'm not. <laughs> and um, they really were kind of very respectful uh, of the the tragedies that happened: a motorcycle accident, death by suicide. Um, there's not like there's there's no uh, what's the word I'm looking for gratuitousness um, yeah there's no gratuitousness but there's also no uh, it's <sighs> exploitation of the, the of tragedy yes yeah um, it happens and I think it's more moving that what you're seeing is kind of the quiet aftermath yeah you see the lead up and the aftermath in most of it you don't see the the act itself I think the, the first time I really kind of lost it was just this moment, this really quiet moment at, at, at the second funeral where the mom is having trouble getting ready. And like that one, like, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, that yeah. breaks my heart out. Yeah. You know? Um, so yeah, I think, so I guess we kind of segue into the directing and like, uh, wow, really skillfully directed very light touch right there's even a I guess a little kind of fantasy heaven scene that I didn't mind I, I think what that was um, is I think that was after the death of his last brother Carrie I think that was what Kevin was was hoping for, what he envisioned. Right. Because it, where it comes in the movie is after he's carried Carrie's body into the house and is sitting with him. We see that heaven sequence, and then it cuts back to him. So I think that's what he's hoping he's, yeah. or dreaming or whatever to kind of. Uh, and it, it, it that is a beautiful moment too. That is it a really, really is like you would think that it would be too cheesy. It wouldn't fit into this, mm -hmm. but no, it's just this perfect little piece. Yeah. Um. So the directing is good. Let's talk performances. So wow. Okay. So let's start with um. Uh, Harris. Oh gosh, I've got to forget his name now. But the Nor David. David, David, oh. So let's talk about David first. Now, David, oh, Jesus. Oh, that better not have broke my tire. Sorry, there was a tire on the side of the road I couldn't get out of the way of. We'll know, we'll know soon enough. Yeah. Um. So, David is the, the second, the second oldest after Kevin, I believe. Okay. And he is the first to go after the championship belt. Yeah. The first to really gain fame. Not only is he an athlete, like Kevin's a very good athlete, but David is a very good athlete, but also a very good showman. Mm. And so he's he's the golden star that, you know, yeah. is going to make it. And he has a terrible accident shortly after Kevin's wedding. Yeah. <coughs> and, uh, so go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, kind of going back a little bit to the writing, and I mentioned this when we left the theater, um, for non-wrestling fans, I think this had one of the best pieces of writing ever to kind of explain why these got why the world championship matters, and even though the the matches are predetermined, you know, uh, Kevin goes out on a date with his future wife, and you know she says, "Well, you know, why does being the world champion matter if it's all predetermined?" And he and he says, "Well, in any job, you want to get promoted." So getting a title is showing that you've done a good job and that they're promoting you, they're moving you up. And getting the world title says 
that you you've done the best job and they're recognizing you. It's a reward. Right. You know, so I I just I just wanted to uh, put that in here because yeah, a lot of the driving force especially from Fritz is this need to have the world title in the in the family. Right. And I think if they hadn't taken the time to kind of explain why that was so important. Yeah. Even though the mat they they don't hide that it's predetermined. They show how the matches are put together. Right. They show them backstage kind of plotting out their yeah. choreography and and whatnot. So like um and that is you know, Kevin introduces David and David's uh he's he's not necessarily as hard a worker as Kevin but they're all so driven to kind of please their dad. Yeah. And so they all kind of get thrown into this. And then, um, you know, you have this this tragedy with, uh, with him just as he's about to make it big. And then you've got Carrie, who is the third, third son, right? I believe so, yeah. Uh, technically fourth. Yeah. They have an older brother who died in, in childhood. childhood. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but um, you've got him who was supposed to go to the Olympics, but it was the Olympics in Moscow, and of course they didn't send them, and so yeah. he ends up going into wrestling instead. And so you have all of these coincidences that happen. Um, Carrie ends up getting a virus that's probably exasperated by drug use. Mm -hmm. And after the plane ride to Japan, where he's supposed to oh, embark... This is, that's a, uh, oh, sorry, that's David. David. He's supposed to embark on his... his uh, Tour of Japan. He gets a ruptured intestine. Yeah. And he dies overseas. And that's our first big tragedy that we see. And then you've got Carrie, who steps up to take his place, who does win match and then ends up in a motorcycle accident and then you know and all of these things you've got Kevin back in the background you know trying to keep everyone on track but also waiting for his turn to come up yeah um and then you got so Jeremy Allen White as Carrie how did you feel about his performance oh I thought he was great I, I'm yeah. just gonna go across the board and say I I think this is probably the best ensemble cast yeah. that I've seen in a long time because you believe they're brothers. Right. They really did seem like brothers, didn't they? Yeah. And not just in the way they look, but the way they interacted with each other, the way they talked to one another, the way just little things in their physicality. Yeah. Like, I especially, okay, so with Carrie, I really felt like you saw this. Kind of 
do. I I make no qualms about it. I believe we've discussed this on the show before. We have. We have. Uh, I I definitely I am to- I totally love Zac Zac Efron. Um, but uh, his, his portrayal. Having watched the documentary, uh, which has a lot like is basically an interview with Kevin Von Erich. Yeah. And then watching his portrayal of it is just so right on. Yeah. His, like, for him being this incredibly jacked up, like... Yeah, he's I, swole. I have no idea what he did to bulk up like this for this role. But to be this big, beefy guy, but played so, like, so softly and so, like, soft-spokenly is was just I mean it was exactly who Kevin Von Erich seems to be in real life. I I I am gonna agree and I think I definitely think you you've probably heard a lot of people give Zach Efron a lot of credit and a lot of praise for this role and it is one hundred percent deserved. It he, is he does a magnificent job. Um and a lot of it is not just through what he says, but through his reactions. You feel this is a guy, um, one of the through lines of it um, is this whole thing of his father kind of telling them, you know, don't you cry at the funeral. Don't, you know, men don't cry. Men don't. And seeing just how hard it is for him to process his emotions. Right. Especially as things get worse and worse and worse. Right. And this is really, if you're looking thematically, this is really a, a, an examination of toxic masculinity. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. And the, the idea that for Kevin, he, he was able to survive because he finally allowed himself to feel his feelings and allowed himself to feel lost and... Um, and process it and move on. Whereas, you know, something like like we were talking about earlier uh, with Carrie Von Eric, where they show that he's there. He had, he had some kind of mental health problem. Oh, absolutely. Like bipolar or manic depression or something. Right. You know. And the, if, if nothing else, he has he had an addiction problem. Yeah. Which is a mental health issue as well. So so he but he was trying so hard to suck it up and power through and be a man and you know like like okay a great example is that and I didn't know this until I watched the documentary but um because I watched Carrie Von Eric as the Texas Tornado in WWF at the time I, I remember seeing him that's how I knew the Von Erics um but I didn't know that through that whole stint he had he was missing a foot right um, and this really shows that the pain he had to go through, the pain he was in. To hide that foot. Yeah, to, to, and to keep doing what he was doing. Like, I cannot imagine, because this was, what, 30 years ago. They don't have the modern prosthetics. Like, no. he was on a peg leg. Yeah. Uh, he was, like, pig foot, I guess. But I just, ugh, the pain. I but, like, imagine. if, you know, that, that thing that if, we said it in the introduction, if mental health issues were as understood as they are today maybe maybe there could have been help for him and maybe he would have uh he would have lived out a longer happier life i think there's a hint of his mom having some mental health issues i think i think they do they do kind of and even even if it wasn't mental health issues but like just the grief that she was living with yeah you know because she had you know five sons and four of them died before she did yeah and like i that would be incredibly hard to deal with but but yeah and i and i and i i must stress again the ensemble the this felt like a family yeah it really did it so like like i said they did such a great job that even going in knowing what's going to happen when when the tragedy hits them you feel it and you feel that loss um and the film does a goes through great pains to show the you know their heyday and how they just they'd go just float down the river in tires and drink beer and right 
you know, just, and they were always supportive of one another. Even when they were having fights or disagreements, they, they patched them up almost immediately. Right. You know, and, and fought through for each other. So they felt like a family. Right. I also have to give huge credit to a lot of the guys in there, uh, playing like actual wrestlers, like Hart. <laughs> Bruiser Brody. Bruiser Brody, Ric Flair, Harley Race, the Freebirds. Yeah. You know, especially the guys who had to do the promos as Ric Flair or Harley Race. Really, like... Yeah, they nailed it. Yeah, they did a great job. It was... it was, um, And I think... I think this is... We can, we can point this to, and we didn't realize this... Right. Until the end, and we saw the end credits. I think because this was produced by, by a wrestler. Yeah, Maxwell J. Friedman. MJF, who has a very brief cameo right. in the film. They don't even call him by name. No. But he but he produced it. So I think because of that, because you actually had a wrestler. A wrestler who is, you know, not just like he who was invested in the history of wrestling. Yeah, I think because of that, I think there was a lot of detail paid to those those details, making sure things lined up, making sure they had the right looking titles, making sure that you know it wasn't just kind of a that was the the title cards, the the graphics they used. Yeah, what did you think about those? I loved them. They were very um, nostalgic. Yeah, right? I, I loved it. Um, but yeah, this. I gotta say, my, my favorite scene, I'm gonna ask you a question here, um, is, and you, you probably, you, you may have seen it on TikTok, is when they're at the wedding and the brothers and Pam, Ke- uh, Kevin's wife, are all dancing to, uh, thank God I'm a country boy. Yeah. It was it was just such a, that, again, that looks like a fucking family. Yeah. That's not, pe- that didn't look like people acting, you felt like you were at a real wedding and this is what they were doing. Yeah, any of the scenes where they were together and kind of like how, you know, they really did kind of welcome Pam in as a, as a sister, mm-hmm. and, you know, and they were supportive. They were supportive of Michael playing music. They were yeah. supportive of, you know, they were just there for each other. And that, that great scene where they, they sneak, sneak him out of the house yeah, so they so he can so go play in his band. And they and Pam steal the truck and all that. It's like that that was a family. Yeah, it was very it was very wholesome and heartbreaking. Yeah. So on that, before we get to final grades up, so what part of this movie did you cry at the most, do you think? What really what part really got you the because there was a lot. I I I uh Yeah. Like, that's just, yeah. 
you know, that's what he did. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, this... I honestly, like, if there were anything that made me think awards are bogus, it's the fact that this did not get even a mention. Yeah. Uh, you know, and okay, it's a movie about wrestling. Yeah, and Rocky was a movie about boxing. We, we gave a ton of awards to movies about elves throwing something into a volcano. Yeah. Okay? Like, can we just, ex like, embrace this idea that this was really beautifully well done? Yeah. And a great movie? Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It was worth the wait. I'm glad we were able to see it. I was worried. <laughs> I was worried it was going to take too long. It was. We were. So. <laughs> It's taken us a month to watch this movie. I know. <laughs> because it did not come close by. It was We had to drive an hour to watch it. And then every time we got a chance where we were going to go see it, there was a blizzard. <laughs> and we couldn't leave town. So, so, so it's literally a month since it came out. But but worth it. Yeah. Worth it. Okay, so let's let's wrap up. So what is your final grade for the Iron Claw? Oh, this is an A+. Plus. Like, I am going to really have to do some pros and cons to determine whether this or Barbie was the was my movie of the year. Mm. So, how about you? Um, A plus for me, too. I, yeah, I can't think of anything that, that could have, that they could have done better. I can't think of anything that, um, it, it gives you the feels. It gives you the feels. And I think it had... Weirdly enough, just the right amount of heartbreak. And, yeah. You know? Um, I think that it ended where it did because you needed to have that hope. Yeah. You know? Well, I like that they, they took great pains to, to tell you in the, the end title cards, like all, you know, movies based on true stories, that Kevin is alive, he and Pam, his wife, are still married, and they... they achieved his dream of owning a big ranch where all the family lives. Yeah, his whole family lives with him. Yeah, like, it says all, all four, of his, four, kids. four of his kids and 13 grandchildren. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. it's so, happiness came out of tragedy. Right. You know, so, yeah, this was this was beautiful. Okay, but uh, we did kind of a double feature. Un unplanned. Right. Unscheduled. So, we are going to come back here in just a minute, uh, a minute for us, a week for you all, <laughs> and talk about this other really great movie that uh, we went and saw tonight. <laughs> so, uh, thank you for that. Thank you for coming and seeing a tear-jerking wrestling movie. Sure thing, <laughs> And uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, have a good time, and as always, drive safe, and we'll see you at the movies.